0: go. The Podcast Platform of the Phenomenalist by Leopold Lambert Today, State of Exception Cities, 2013 Boston and Istanbul, with Philippe Theophanidis Hello, everyone. Today, my guest is uh, Philippe Theophanidis, who is a PhD candidate at University of Montreal, and we are recording this conversation in, in Montreal. Uh, and he's also the editor of Aphilis and uh, it's rare enough to be noted, he's also a protectionist <laughs> in a cinema. Uh, hello, Philippe. Hi. Uh, so today, we will uh, talk about um, militarized cities, but through through an approach uh of your own research which uh, questions uh, um the notions of community and uh i suppose that's what we could uh, we could start with uh, uh maybe if you if you could explain a little bit uh, uh i know it's a it's a it's a very uh, annoying question for phd candidates to explain what they do <laughs> in their phd but well we're going to have to go through it so could you could you please tell us in a few minutes uh what uh, what this is all about yeah
1: of course. Uh, so the background is communication studies, and that's the point from which I, I try to study the problem of of community, which is the name um, one can give to the, the 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 problem or the the idea of being together, living together, um, organizing our lives in such a way that we can maintain an order. Or a, a kind of harmony. So um, my research is uh, more specifically oriented uh, towards the way in which this attempt at living together is facing a crucial, if not deadly, challenge today. The int- intuition uh, came uh, years ago um, uh, when I was I experienced in Montreal. Um, the shooting at the uh, College Dawson, the College Dawson shooting, um, which is not um, uh, unique to Montreal. Uh, other similar events has, have happened elsewhere in the world, but m- more specifically in the United States. So a shooting occurs. Uh, somebody um, who, has, who has no previous history uh, goes into a public place and, and starts shooting people which is really a shocking event and um, I, was, I was struck by the fact that the, the, the violence or the, the, the deadly um, uh, occurrence came from within the community itself. There is a difference with a random shooting uh, and uh, an attack from a terrorist who come from outside. In the case of mass murder, it comes from inside the community itself. It comes from ourselves, in a way. And there is a, the reaction is, is also very disturbing and very interesting. Um, in a way, the, the community will solidarize itself around the, the event. There is an event that is an attempt to break the community by killing people, but the effect is a solidarization of the community, and this, this solidarization um, is is fueled in part by um, a strong will to reject the killer, to reject the event, which is an, uh, an old story. We can sacrifice a body in order to create a communion. Um, So the intuition was this very simple observation that it seems that communication always goes hand to hand with a kind of excommunication. And if we want to go back to the idea of living together or the idea of community, um, it seems that we are witnessing nowadays events where the attempt building a way of living together is actually producing death or producing the very conditions that are threatening our way of living together. So living together today, to make it short, living together today is always threatening to fall into destruction of a common life. So there is this kind of paradox or aporia, of political life today and that's mostly what I'm interested in and I'm studying this through specific event which we can talk about uh, Mm.
0: yeah I think that's that's what we will start by doing and maybe um, maybe have only this um this notion of community appearing in in filigree uh, for for the the beginning of the conversation, and I think it will it will rise back after that. But the, the two examples that I was interested to talk to you uh, about not not talk to you about talked with you about is um, is uh, about two specific um, cases of. Um, of militarization of the city I mean whether it's, it's the actual military or, or some sort of special police force and the first one is uh, the, the Boston manhunt of April 2013 uh, when um, when this uh, person Dzhokhar uh, Tsarnaev was uh, was being uh, quite literally hunted by uh, by thousands of, of police officers in Boston and uh, part of the Massachusetts uh, National Guard and the second one was uh, during uh, Occupy Gezi um, in uh, a few months later, uh, summer 2013, um, where we saw uh, a deployment of of, uh, of tear gas warfare, what you what you call yourself tear tear gas warfare. Um, that was quite uh, unprecedented. Um, but so let's start by Boston and and the sort of legal. Um, the legal aspect uh, of, of this uh, state, of, uh, state of emergency that was signed by President Obama to, to allow the, such a deployment of, of, of force. And, um, and maybe since it's been, it's been two years, uh, we can maybe remind uh, all listeners of what was the conditions of this, uh, of this specific manhunt and, and then we can probably uh,
1: talk of what it means for the city. Yeah, so um it was during the the Boston bombing the marathon the the terrorist attack at the, the the Boston Marathon. And um as soon as it happened, there was a state of emergency declared by President Obama for the state of Massachusetts. Um it's in, it's important to to take notice of the state of emergency because it changes the legal framework within which the, the 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 police force will operate the striking things with the boston martin martin bombing was the the invasion or the deployment of law enforcement agency everywhere in the city but more importantly we saw the photo um, um, uh, police officer in full tactical gear uh, roaming through living room where people are uh, waiting a little bit paralyzed in their pajamas so it was the intrusion of, of, of law official within the very intimacy of private homes we can debate if it was necessary or not, but the fact is, it happened, and it was it happened at such a scale that it was impossible to miss. It was not exceptional um, in terms of the scale because many homes were searched without a warrant. Um, by I think the numbers were about five thousand uh, uh, police officer and member of the national guard. Uh immediately what what comes to mind is is there are many problems one can wonder uh, was this constitutional um what happened with the division between the civilian sphere and the military sphere um there was a lockdown in place is uh, how 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 about the legality of the lockdown was the lockdown a suggestion that was made to the civilian please stay home or was it legally enforced, you must stay home or otherwise there will be consequences. Uh, what are the impacts of the very simple impact, affective impact of seeing a law official in full tactical gear? And and what what comes out of of, of a very little inquiry or investigation on on those events is that in numerous aspects, lines, traditional distinction are blurs, which is um, an effect or an impact of this very state of exception. Uh, that's the name Agamben gives to to this kind of lifting of traditional law. Um, in in the case of the uh, Boston bombing it's a kind of a double lifting because there is already at the national level a state of exception in place in the united states since september 14 i think 2001 it's an, a national state of exception that was declared by bush the state of exception uh, has a a, a a limit of one year after which it dissolves unless it's renewed. And the interesting fact is it has been renewed each and every year since then, both by Bush and by Obama. The last time was in September 2014, and most likely it will be renewed next September too. So within this national state of exception, we have another... Emergency declaration, um, uh, which uh, gives um, uh, official more latitude, or at least which comes and blurs the line of what can what can be done, what what is legal, what is not legal. Um, in in Boston, this state of exception, what we saw, what we witnessed, is is the fact that it's becoming more and more. Not prevalent, but more and more common, the exception becomes the norms that I think that wa- that that's what was most striking about what happened in boston uh, the intim- the the unfolding of the political dimension that are associated with with our very intimacy
0: mm-hmm. could you could you maybe drive us through the the, the sort of uh uh, both legal and logistic process. That uh, because I know you've been studying that, like regarding uh, when when the state of emergency is declared, then the the main actor uh, becomes uh, FEMA, yeah. which which usually we we tend to see it m- much more for like natural disasters. But actually, yeah. there's a sort of blurring between what's a natural disaster and what's some sort of uh, 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 political
1: and yeah political situation could could you drive us through that yeah um uh, the, i think one of the 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 starting point should be that traditionally for a long time there was a distinction between the military sphere and the civilian sphere that is war were conducted outside of the city outside of the states in between the states and the idea was to preserve or to protect the civilian sphere so for example we know there is this poseconatus act in the United States which prohibit the use of military military force within the civilian sphere so you cannot deploy military personnel in the streets um, however this legal framework is um, is is open to uh, uh, all kind of uh, exceptional um, uh, lifting. Um, in the case of, of Boston, for example, and Boston come after, uh, of course, Boston come after uh, the 9/11. Uh, what happened was the state of emergency that was declared by President Obama gives the operating uh, power to the FEMA. And the FEMA operates under the direction of the Homeland Security. The Homeland Security itself, uh, if I remember correctly, was created after 9-11 specifically to ensure the possibility of enforcing law and order at a higher level within the civilian sphere. So the Homeland Security is the answer, is the equivalent of the Defense Department but for operation within the nation itself, uh, whereas the the Defense Department will work outside the nation. The other thing that is interesting to notice is that um, there are still um, uh, rules that prevent FEMA Uh, from using military personnel, for example, for uh, evacuation of civilians. The FEMA cannot ask military personnel to um, to help in evacuating uh, civilians from, for example, uh, uh, a a city where a catastrophe happened. However, uh, the FEMA can ask military personnel for passive, they call it passive defense. So there, there, there are there are grey zone where military personnel can be called in um, to support, and we and we have seen this uh, when Hurricane uh, Katrina happened in the, in the United States. In, in New Orleans. Yeah. In, in 2005, New Orleans. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and this and I'm not even speaking about another problem, which will I guess we will leave aside is the the employment or the use of private military personnel which is a great way of circumventing the legal framework we're not we're not deploying military personnel they are private force so it's strictly contractual it's business and you can go be, um, uh, above the the distinction between military and, and and civilian um in boston there has there have been the deployment of national guard uh, which is an an extension or a reserve of the department of defense so in fact in boston there were uh, military personnel deployed but all all those considerations we're still trying to to understand this situation strictly from a legal point of view there are other things to consider as well um whether it's legal or not there is an, an impact on the population, um, an affective impact, an emotional impact, simply of seeing um, law officer who are not military, but who are dressed in full tactical gear. Um, the other question is, this distinction usually is based on the idea that military personnel are not trained to handle civilian military personnel warriors they are trained to make war on a theater of operation they are not trained to deal with civilian people whereas a police officer is specifically trained to act in a civilian environment what happened to both the civilian when he sees a police officer in full tactical gear who really looks like a, mili- a, a military person or a soldier. And what happened to the officer himself when he's dressed? That it's a question we, cou- we could raise. What happened to the mind of an officer when you give him a military vehicle, um, military gears, military uh, uh, weapons? how is his frame of mind operate uh, in in under such condition and we know it's part it's part of the problem we're speaking about we know that increasingly it's a, a, a byproduct of the end of the the end it, it, it didn't really end but a byproduct of the shifting of the war in the Middle East the American are calling back a lot of military gear and military material and military supply from the Middle East uh, the material is being re-imported into the United States and redistributed uh, in in order to be used by police force so they have they are provided with with military weapons with military um, cars vehicle mineswiper very not the usual equipment you would be used to see in the streets and we have there were uh, photos and and video of of armored car uh, in the streets of Boston which were really uh, striking so the the legal framework aside one should consider the emotional or the affective impact of the militarization itself in terms in terms of just the impact of seeing all this gear whether it's legal or not legal whether it's under exception or or no exception Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: something else i want to talk about about boston is um i mean what happened in boston in april 2013 and this manhunt is um also, the fact that when you have such a deployment of police and and national guard, um, we we th- we tend to think of it for its actual purpose, which is like to find to find this person, to uh, to Um But obviously, the, I mean, there there's there's never only one function. There's n- never only one aim. So, all of a sudden, we have we have uh, i don't know how many hundreds of homes that are that are that are inspected we have we have so some somehow the police is able to establish a new a new cartography of spaces that it it was not at all allowed to to reach uh previously uh so i mean i i highly doubt and i think uh, even whether where the whether there was a clear intentionality here or not doesn't really matter but I I highly doubt that um, in the in those uh, searches within houses there's not there's not been a sort of policing that's also a sort of production of of knowledge about about houses that's been searched and and the people inside it and how how this was not I doubt that this was not centralised afterwards uh, in in a, in a sort of a, uh, um, in a given form of a, of a data data collection um, is it is it something you've been looking at as well or not so much?
1: Not so much about the the collection of of data, but but uh, surely um, law law agency um, in the United States, but I believe elsewhere in in the world um, are are um, following. Um, we sp- we spoke about it earlier. Um, are following um, not a trend but um, uh, an evolution or a development in the way um, uh, power is applied in different fields of operation. And in this specific case, um, it seems to be a, a reflection or an echo of. Uh, uh, change of paradigm within the military sphere itself um, uh, which is um, the adaptation to the fact that um, conflicts are more often more and more often um, are happening within urbanized um, landscape and, and not outside of the city Um We've seen it already in Baghdad, but um, elsewhere in the world too. You were speaking about uh, earlier. We were speaking about what happened in 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 Maidan, in Ukraine. Um, conflicts arises within urbanized space, and I think um, not only the military, but law law enforcement agency are trying to adapt to to this uh, change of of in the framework of, of operation and whether or not information about citizens were collected I don't know but for sure um, the law agencies used what happened in Boston to develop their way of, of operation and to learn how to operate more efficiency uh, within uh, a city. Uh, from, uh, from the perspective of law enforcement Boston surely must have been a great exercise. There are many such, uh, f- you know. You, you, I think, you wrote about it, or you spoke with Joe Masco about about this. There are many fake, you no know, fake scenarios where uh, where law law agencies are asked to participate and we fake a biological incident. But you cannot, you cannot make make a um, uh, an exercise. An exercise of, of of that scale, so for sure what happened in Boston has been and will be studied um uh, for uh, f- for further um, uh, further ed- education and and further development in the operation uh, uh, f- i'm I'm sure it will happen again they will have learned from it mm. there were, there were many many problems from a legal per- perspective, people were wondering, so you search my house to find a terrorist. I'm, I'm okay, I'm opening the door. You don't have a warrant, but it's okay. Now, what happened if you find something I was not supposed to have in my house? On in Under those conditions, can this be legally uh, uh, brought uh, against me? Uh, and, and the the officer must... The law enforcement uh, agency must um, surely they are they are um, having the same interrogation. Now we have a we have this opportunity. Uh, we are searching home without houses and homes without warrants. What what can we do uh, inside those homes? Uh, can we extend? Uh, can we can we use the opportunity to? to uh, extend our power or to extend our field of operation? Does it give us more uh, latitude in our operation? That kind of question. The, the state of exception um, has this effect or this function to um, push away the, the legal frame in, into which power is usually um, applied. Uh, it's the... Uh, I don't know in English... I think it's the doctrine of separation of power. Mm-hmm. There is this very old tradition in the United States, uh, which prevent power to be um, applied outside of of the the supervision of of law, uh, and it's it's the only way to make sure that um, the application of power remain legitimate. Otherwise, you have just full scale deployment of power without any legitimacy uh, that is outside of a legal frame um, yeah and I think we it, it
0: ought to be to be reminded that uh, obviously we're not talking of some kind of uh, some kind of neutral urban landscape as you say your urbanized landscape uh, that all in a sudden would would be Added uh, some sort of militarized layer and state of exception layer. Uh, actually, the the very physicality of the city is very much uh, uh, um, very much produced by similar logics. And and when when really you have this sort of very exceptional uh, situation, uh, it it is it is a bit uh, what was what was always contained within the city that that kind of deploys itself uh, upon. The body is living in it, right? I think I think we both have a uh, uh, we both have that vision in mind when we talk when we talk about that. Um, but so m- moving on to this second example, uh, which is in Istanbul in uh, in the uh, in the summer 2013, with those massive um, massive gathering uh, that extended uh, to to many cities in Turkey. Um, originally, to to prevent uh, um, to prevent a development uh, a project, like there are so many of them in uh, in uh, in Istanbul, the, there was this uh, little park, Gezi Park, um, uh, on Taksim near Taksim Square, uh, like a major node uh, of the city. Uh, so, in defense in defense of this park and against these developments, uh, uh, but those protests turned out to be a massive national movement against the uh, uh, former prime minister of Turkey, which who is now the president uh, Recep Tayyip uh, Erdogan um, and, uh, and obviously many of the logic we just talked about for Boston are also at work in Istanbul, but um, for this example, we're going to take a slightly different uh, uh, approach, let's say and um, and I'm, I'm being helped here by the the text you kindly wrote for uh, the second volume of the Phenomenalist Papers, which I hope when this conversation is released, uh, <laughs> the book will be also released. Uh, but so a text you call caught caught in the cloud, and where you you think of the sort of tear gas warfare that that happened in 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 Istanbul in around Taksim, uh, for for quite a quite a few weeks during this gathering, uh, and how somehow it it helps you to think of how the sort of control and potentially militarized control of um, of the living bodies' atmospheres can can you explain to us a little bit, argument?
1: Yeah, the the common denominator between uh, Boston and and uh, what happened in, in Taksim Two even um, that unfold at, at like five months of, of, of distance really close together and we, we 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 see more and more of them we were talking about what happened in the street of Montreal uh, two days ago um, uh, with the student strike and the use of tear gas again here the common denominator is 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 the fact that it seem in a way that we are um, as as civ- the distinction between the civilian sphere and 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 the military sphere or the idea of war is is not something that uh, can be kept um away from us uh, that is all all of us were starting to to experience more often and maybe with more intensity um um, violent event. And I would go as far as to say that um, uh, industrial accidents are, are part of that experience, uh, uh, also. So, what happened in, in, in Taksim um, uh, was this um, uh, incredible video footage, very short video footage but uh, incredible in that it was a coordinated and very massive tear gas attack against a crowd of protesters and when i say massive um within a couple of second 30 second 40 second maybe um um a large space is completely engulfed in flame um to such a point where um the protesters who are not well equipped to to uh, Resist the, the the tear gas. Um, uh, found found themselves in a situation where um, their condition of life was also their condition of death, in the sense that in order to live to live, they need to breathe, but in this very situation, breathing meant Uh, Possibly suffocating or or dying. I'm not. I'm not aware of anyone who died of 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 tear gas in this very uh, specific situation. But other other cases happened um, a few weeks later, where tear gas were uh, launched uh, within a police wagon, and the prisoner within the police wagon uh, died. It is it is possible to to die from from exposure to uh, to tear gas, so um, what it means is that we are um, the the use of tear gas illustrate a couple of of things. The first one is um, the tear gas is is used as a mean of control. It's a bit um, not ironic, maybe it's a bit dramatic, but the. Um, the control is not meant for a specific individual. It's a very general and broad mean of control. You don't, you, it's not like put in, putting handcuffs off or on someone. You use tear gas when you want to control a crowd in a space, and it's specifically a human crowd in a given space, and you want a very general control of the situation of course because you cannot have a specific control Um, this is a way of of operation which is uh, exemplary of what uh, Michel Foucault called biopolitics you do not control specific body you control an an environment or an ecosystem um, uh, within which um, bodies coexist but you don't do specific or discrete control you just do a very broad control, um, so it illustrates this shift toward um, mode of governmentality of uh, or of controlling governmentality of controlling that Foucault called biopolitics. Uh, where it becomes uh, interesting is this biopolitics, which is politics is the ma- management of life. It's a way of go- governing, managing, controlling, ordering life. Um, in Taksim Square, what we witnessed was the fact that um, the attempt at controlling or giving order to life within the city—that's what the police uh, agencies were trying to do. We have. Protester, they are causing some trouble. It's uh, a threat. That maybe the argument that was put forward. It's a threat to the rest of the city. It's a threat to the rest of the civilian, to the state. So we need to control this. So the the attempt at controlling life, at 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 assuring condition, ordered condition of life, actually um, becomes. Um, a kind of politic over life that is uh, the attempt at maintaining order for the, our human togetherness transform into um, a mode of operation that is threatening life itself another way that was uh, that that's what I was saying at the beginning of the conversation another simpler way to see it is uh, the government uh, of life becomes uh, a government of death uh, in in the way that our attempt at organizing um, our political synth- synthesis um, uh, is at risk um, at producing uh, our own annihilation um, it that's the very broad view that we can take from the very specific event that unfolded in in Taksim Square. So the lesson that I thought was was worth uh, taking from those events was that the the problem that the protesters were facing in Taksim surely were was not a problem specific. There are specificities to what happened in Taksim square but surely the this dynamic where um our attempt at living together risk always into transforming into uh, into a work of death that's an issue that concerns us all so in in this way um what happened in in Taksim um is is something worth uh, worrying about um for the rest of us, for every one of us, um, even though, of course, uh, in Montreal we're not living under. Even though there were there were tear gas in Montreal, the conditions are not are not the same in Montreal than they are in, in than they were in Taksim or than they are in in Syria. Those are very different conditions. But on on from a very broad perspective, at a global level, since we are now living in a globalized world. We are all faced with 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 this issue with this threat maybe um, we need to find another way and, and the the problem is that we don't have a solution we're looking for a solution we need to find another way at assuring um, uh, at assuring our coexistence mm-hmm. and maybe we we
0: don't need to talk about that but just to 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 go a little bit further in uh, in your remarks about the globalized world we we notice that the the weaponry and in particular the tear gas uh, uh, canisters makers are actually the same uh like there's probably only a few companies uh, producing them and you find them you find the exact same in uh, in, uh, in the american cities or in in the west bank for example or in the, brazil yeah, and, yeah many others Uh, something that I'd like to to push you towards (laughs) uh, is uh, is because it's very much at the core of of the of this uh, text uh, caught in the cloud um, is uh, precisely the cloud I mean the the atmosphere in in the sense that um, when we think of militarized cities we might do the mistake of thinking too much of it in terms of, of of uh, sort of co- cartography, so sort of a very surface-based uh, uh, um, way of thinking uh, that that might miss the point of of the, of the atmosphere. And uh, I think uh, I've been quoting uh, quoting this uh, in uh, in uh, several conversations on Archipelago. But I'm going back always to the to the. the, the this uh, this uh, paragraph of uh, franz fanon in A dying colonialism saying uh, uh, colonialism is not about it's not about uh controlling a territory it's not about controlling the surface of the ground it's about it's about really uh determining determining the the conditions uh, the compositions almost of atmosphere. I mean, I'm paraphrasing it, but him. But uh, uh, the the, condi- the atmospherical conditions in which life is made possible, and and here I'm not paraphrasing him. Is is saying uh, it is it is a breathing combat, and obviously the the notion of breathing uh, on, on an academic level brings us back to uh, to uh, Peter Sloterdijk, that I'm sure you will tell us a bit more about and at a more uh at a more uh, tragically real uh level uh the 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 last words of uh, eric Garner uh, uh that were that were reused uh, for the as a as a sort of slogan of the black black lives matter uh in in the united states uh, which is uh, I can breathe, and and uh, what what is it this uh, being in the breathable that that Sloterdijk tells us, and and how how did you use that uh, in the context of uh, of the tear gas warfare in in Istanbul?
1: Yes, uh, already in, uh, in Michel Foucault when he develops his his idea of biopolitics, there is this um, um, emphasis that is put upon the idea of environment. Biopolitics is not about controlling uh, people, uh, or not only about controlling people or population, but more specifically about controlling environment. So, um, as you say, um, it would be a mistake to think of the city as as a, as a surface, one di- one dynamic, one dimensional um, uh, space. Um, the 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 tear gas. Points or illustrate the fact that the problem is ecological or environmental. Or since I'm studying, and I'm in communication studies, we can uh, we can maybe take the opportunity to broaden the concept of media. Um, That is, the tear gas, the use of tear gas and its effect on population. The fact that we're we are controlling the living condition of of people of protesters, but also of civilians, um, illustrate the fact that the 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 stakes here is the milieu in French. We would say the milieu is the very space within which we live. Our condition of existence are deeply embedded in this. Volume, which Sloterdijk will call sphere. This whole theory about the spheres that um, our, our, uh, our lives and our lives together, more specifically, uh, are determined determined by and determine in in return um, uh, uh, a volume or a sphere or a, 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 a medium within which we live and if we want to push the concept even even further, a milieu which we are ourselves. Uh, we are the the very um, e- ecological environment within which we live and by that I mean that by being, by existing together, by being together, whether it it's within a city or in the country, it doesn't really, at this level, it doesn't really matter. By being and by being together, we create a milieu, um, a, a, a milieu of life. And this milieu of life, this environment, living environment, can be turned into um, can become deadly. That's what we see with the use of tear gas. Uh, the use of tear gas in Texan shows how a certain mode of being together can turn our 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 uh, our environment, our ecology, into a, 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 a turn it into a where the condition become deadly. So we become deadly to ourselves. Our modes of being together becomes or provides our turn into conditions that are preventing us from living or from living together that that i think was the the main thing with the with the tear gas
0: and uh as um something particularly uh um uh, crucial uh in in the in the tear gas uh, paradigm if we may call it like that uh, and I think you you already kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier, but uh, I think it's also an argument that Stroturak is trying to make is the, the fact that a body that is that is uh, caught in the cloud, to reuse your your title, uh, will be forced into a situation where choice still exists uh, and at a very uh, abstract level I, I suppose but between not breathing and breathing and and therefore uh, uh, being uh, a victim of the toxi- toxification, uh yeah. of, of of the atmosphere so somehow there is a sort of there's a sort of paradoxical um, participation of the body to its own to its own demise and and I think I think it that's that's why I'm calling it a paradigm because I think it uh, very often so the violence of of um, of these politics are very much counting on our own contribution to our own uh, uh, to, the, to the to the violence to which we are subjected to so. Could you tell us
1: maybe a yeah. bit more about that? Um, yes, it's an observation Sartre made in uh, in his book uh, on the the genealogy or history of uh, of uh, air warfare. Um, either you don't breathe and you die, or you breathe and then you participate to your own demise. That's the condition. Uh, in which you one find uh, himself or herself when you're cut into the cloud of uh, into a cloud of tear gas either you don't breathe the tear gas but then you cannot breathe at all and and you die or you breathe and you actually cooperate because you you will inhale the very toxic agent that will incapacitate you and from from this situation we can infer or we can start thinking about I'm not, actually I'm not, at the moment we're speaking, we're not caught into a cloud of tear gas, but we can wonder just how much, um, how much I'm I'm able to behave um, without participating to um, condition that are, um, um, condition that are uh, a threat to my life, but not my life individually, but to our life uh, in common, to to our social life. Uh, is it possible nowadays um, uh, under the conditions that are the condition of globalization um, Jean-Luc Nancy called this uh, ecological and framing, ec- eco and framing. The fact that the whole world nowadays com- completely in frame into our technologi- te- technological activity one cannot pretend to step aside of this frame and uh, and to live outside of it you you whatever you're doing uh, on this planet you're participating in a way um, uh, in the information in the modeling of this eco-technical and framing so under those conditions how should I behave under those conditions? What should I do that will not um, uh, further develop or further enhance or further intensify um, the the a frame within which our lives together will be pushed toward its own demise? How can I? how can i participate with others how can i live with others without uh, pushing us towards our our own annihilation that will be the crucial uh, issue uh, we should f- we are facing that we should face we are uh, actually facing
0: mm. and uh, as I uh, as put, I'm, I'm glad you you brought you brought you brought us here because, and especially talking about like where we are right now, like as a sort of very uh, uh one might say innocent uh office but it's it's true that uh, i mean obviously the the best examples are when you can apply them to where where you are presently and i mean if we if we think of it if we think of the air we we're breathing right now uh we'll find a, a little bit of it of the of the uh montreal pollution we'll find the we'll find the the sort of uh, um Effect of uh, the 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 warmer the warm heater uh, uh, that would have influenced the air we're breathing, and uh, with the heater not being built in a vacuum either. So I mean, there there's all those conditions that uh, I think someone like uh, Michelle Murphy, and that's another conversation I can refer to uh, as a as a associated to this conversation. Uh, in her book about the sick building syndrome, she she starts the book by describing the 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 air condition air particles course before we we do inhale them, and so um, that that might be a good example to see how uh, I guess where I, where I'm getting at with all that is is also an argument you were trying to make in the sense that obviously when it comes to tear gas. Uh, we have a very strong inten- intentionality um from from a a control standpoint but obviously we do not need a, a clear absolute intentionality to have the violence of what we've been describing uh, applying to to everyone so um maybe as a concluding uh, question would you would you maybe tell us a bit more about this this notion of um uh, this more uh, uh, mundane uh aspect of uh, of what we talked about today in a very extreme intentional way and uh, in and to p-
1: to push it to a more uh, ubiquitous uh uh realm yes um uh Anyone a little bit familiar with Michel Foucault will be um, uh, aware of the fact that um, for Michel Foucault, power is not something that you can assign to a specific agent. So as we said, it's tempting and it's legitimate in a a certain kind of way, Uh, for example with what happened in, in Taksim, to assign responsibility of what happened to a specific agency, for example the government. And and as I say, there is certainly a, a perspective where it's absolutely legitimate to question the action of the government. That being said, uh, it will be a mistake to stop there and not to question at a broader um, uh, level the fact that, as Michel Foucault um, uh, wrote, the fact that power power... Does not belong to anyone in particular, but circulate in in between everyone, in between bodies, in between. What I want to 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 bring us to is the fact that um, we are responsible as a community. Uh, we are responsible for what is happening to us. Um, so another um, um, clear example of this. For me is what happened i think uh, maybe not at the same summer i don't remember exactly the, the i think it was maybe 2013 in um, in lac megantic in quebec there was a derailment of a train and a gigant- the train was containing crude oil the train derailed within the heart of a city a small city exploded and and to a gigantic and catastrophic consequence Immediately the temptation was to point uh, to point either the railway company the government ask for more regulation but if you if you take a step back um, uh, one is forced to realize that the responsibility for what happened in megantic is a collective responsibility of course the the the, the train derailed for maybe technical or or because of a, a lack of regulation, but the train was containing crude oil. The crude oil is the oil everyone use at one point or or another. Even me or you, we don't own cars. Uh, I walk. I take. I take the bus. But nonetheless, my very existence is intimately linked with the circulation of crude oil on railways all around the world. Um, and and from this point of view i am also responsible for what happened uh, for what happened in in taksim so um, yes that's uh, that and we can maybe wrap with this uh, it's, it will be two ways of thinking that uh, thinking about the fact that what happened in taksim or what happened in, uh, in boston uh, concerns us it concerns us because um, we are also subjected to those things, even if we are not subjected with the same intensity. Uh, but it also concerns us because we are, in a way, we are also the uh, the agent. Uh, we are also responsible. We need to answer to what happened, but we need also to take upon ourselves the realization that we are we are participating. In 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 this global theater, uh, in this global story that is unfolding to sometimes and, and more and more maybe uh, dramatic uh, into dramatic e- events. Mm. Well, Philip,
0: thank you very much for taking uh, some of your precious time <laughs> in your in your uh, in your work in your work day to uh, talk with me today, and um, I was glad we we got to talk about those two particular articles um, that you wrote uh, in 2013, and obviously we will have them associated to the conversation. Thank you. Great, thank you.